0: Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast, part of the educationonfire.com podcast network. You may remember a few weeks ago, episode 29, I gave you a little insight into a new project called Humanities 2020. Well, today I'm really excited to be able to bring you a conversation I had recently with Dr. Tony Yude and Simon Catlin, who are two people involved in this project, and they gave us some insights into exactly what's involved, how you can get involved. The ideas behind it and exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve and we have a fantastic conversation about how this fits in with the curriculum, the broadening of the curriculum, how that works with the new Ofsted and exactly how this can be of big benefit to you and your school and how as teachers you can maybe incorporate this into your classroom. You may remember Tony Hude has been on the NAEP podcast before. It's episode 001 entitled What is Education and that was based on the 2018 NAEP Schiller Lecture. Rehumanizing Primary Education, Placing Trust in Teachers and Learning from the Legacy of Christian Schiller. So you can always go back and have a listen to that one. All of the links of all of these things will be on the show notes of this particular episode, which I will give you at the end of the show. As you will know, the National Association for Primary Education speaks for young children and all who live and work with them. And so the children are in your care. It gives you and your school a a voice that's heard. And that can be whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a governor, basically anyone interested in primary education. NAPE also leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subject associations and unions and gives teachers in schools a voice at governmental level with meetings with ministers for schools. So... We were really excited when, Dr Tony, you came to one of our meetings and explained exactly what this project was all about. And of course, we wanted to support it. One of the things that we know is that having a voice is really important to all of us. And actually, it's coming together as uh, either a member of NAPE or, or collectively within the education world to make the difference and to give the environment that we want to make sure that every child has the opportunity to, to learn and develop and to be the best person that they can be. So we're very excited to share this with you and to, be able to support this Humanities 2020. And this is my conversation with Tony Ude and Simon Catlin. So, following on from our recent podcast where I talked about this new project, the Humanities 2020, we're now going to have a conversation about exactly what that project is and what its aims are and some of the people involved. So, thank you very much, both of you, for asking me to come along and have this conversation and, and Tony came to a recent um, National Association for Primary Education meeting and, and gave us a background and they were very keen to, to be supportive and, and support the things that you're doing. So would you like to introduce yourselves and give us an idea of your professional background so we get an idea of exactly who we are and what we're talking about to get us going?
1: Okay, my name's um, Tony Yood, and I've been a, involved in primary education for over 40 years now. I was a a class teacher in in two schools um, and then became the head teacher of a school in Oxford. Uh, Was that for nine years. I then did a doctorate and I've worked independently for the last uh, 16 years or so. Um, Particular interest in the sort of broader personal aspect of primary education, young children's learning, um, spiritual, moral, social, cultural development. And out of that came a, a, an interest in the, a particular area of the curriculum which we've called the humanities and which we'll talk about a bit later.
2: Uh, my name is Simon Catling. I'm an Emeritus Professor of Primary Education from Oxford Brookes University. Uh, again, my background, like Tony's, is from primary education. and That's been my focus throughout. Uh, I was a primary teacher in three schools in London and deputy head of the last one before I moved to Oxford uh, back in the 1980s and came in to teach humanities for primary teachers. My focus mainly has been on geography ever since but I also worked in areas like curriculum which has been an important focus because I think it's always been heavily underrated uh, in the study of, of education in this country and humanities as being an important part of that. I've also had a life outside the university in uh, being very involved in the Geographical Association and was president uh, of that organisation quite a few years ago now, but very much about promoting primary education and primary geography, which I'm still involved with with their, their early years of primary committee.
0: So we're going to have a conversation about exactly what the project is and and how it fits within primary education but my first question or my first couple of questions would be first of all what is humanities 2020 and also why now why do something about it now as opposed to uh, the conversations that have been going on over the uh, many years about how we'd like the curriculum to change and that kind of thing so yes exactly what is humanities 2020 and and why now specifically to actually get some kind of something that we can sort of all get on board with?
1: Perhaps a a bit of background to answer that might be helpful. In that about six or seven years ago, um, I contacted various colleagues at Oxford Brookes University um, about the possibility of doing some work together, perhaps doing some research in relation to the humanities. And we'll perhaps come on to how we characterise the humanities but particularly sort of history, geography, RE, citizenship, that sort of side of the curriculum because I was particularly um, concerned and still am about the narrowing of the curriculum and the way in which that aspect um, has been marginalised in, in a lot of schools and out of that we then gathered together a group of four people, um, myself, uh, two geographers, one of whom was Simon and Pete Vass, um, who came from a background of history education. And from that, we then decided, after a, a, a great deal of discussion, to um, offer to co-edit a um, an issue of the journal Education 3 to 13, where we would get about seven or eight authors, including people from different parts of the UK and people who came from a slightly different angle to um, just to look at what the current state of the humanities in primary schools is and whether what we were thinking was more um, more broadly um, the picture. Um, and then to start something in terms of the academic debate. Do you want to take it forward a bit from there, Simon?
2: Tony's outlined it very clearly. I think one thing that's worth adding in, before we reached a point of uh, seeking an issue of Education 3 to 13, as Tony has described, we actually tried a number of attempts to get research funding, and every single one of them was refused. So there's a real issue in our minds about, is any of the wider research base interested in curriculum in primary schools when it goes outside the core subjects of English, Maths and Science? And it certainly seemed the humanities had little interest. There was also a concern which went back, I think, a long, long way in that the reports coming out of of Ofsted and from HMI before that uh, about... History, Geography, RE, really painted not a terribly wonderful picture. There were certainly schools where there was excellent work, but a very much larger number of schools where there was no work at all, particularly in Geography, RE had problems. Um, And some indications teachers felt much more comfortable with history than either of the other two subjects in primary classrooms. So there were a number of issues about being able to uh, encourage and support the way in which the primary curriculum could be a broad and balanced curriculum if we go back to what the 1988 education act uh, required Um, and that's led to sort of wanting to keep pushing to be able to take this forward as to why now one is because this was a concern and a group of us came together as tony's outlined the other, which has been supported most recently, is the way in which um, Spielman as, as head of Ofsted has refocused towards the curriculum, not solely, but much more in terms of a balanced and a broad curriculum, and the, that's being moved forward in terms of the inspection requirements from the, this coming academic year 2019-20. 19, 19, uh, there's an impetus that's there as well to see whether we can make some progress
1: but I I like just to come in if I may uh, I I like to think we were and I think we were actually slightly ahead of the game because that's why I say going back four or five years and and it has been that amount of time in in gestation in a sense um, and I think it's really welcome that actually the new Ofsted framework and the the consultation that went ahead um, of that um, has started to recognize some a concern which obviously we would share about the narrowing mm-hmm. of the curriculum and in particular how that further disadvantages disadvantaged children so that actually some of those children who most need a balanced and broadly based curriculum are in fact those who get a sort of endless diet. In some schools, an endless diet of um, more English and more maths, when actually I think it's our view that um, many of those um, children, what they need is more physical activity, more field work, more of the sorts of things that we're trying to promote through uh, Humanities 2020.
2: Yes, and I think linked to that, the uh, approach to, to, for example, maths and, and English is one where the humanities can offer real content rather than uh, presumed content, where there's some real focus in using, for example, uh, information analysis of texts, of photographs, uh, a whole range of other sources linking into the use of data. What's this telling us about something that is pertinent in another subject area, while also inevitably developing vocabulary, language, quality, and so on. So it, it's about trying to get that sense of balance of across the curriculum, not just of different subject areas, but in fact working much more holistically. So and I
1: think behind that, I mean, in agreeing with all of that, behind that, there is a sense which I have very strongly that the fragmentation of the curriculum into very separate subjects as taught um, is particularly problematic for for very young children Mm. and that actually one needs to be trying to make the links across different subject areas while at the same time developing the particular historical skills related to history or to geography or religious education or I mean or indeed any subject so there's always a sort of tension there I think but my sense would be just trying to Make those connections as possible, yeah. and that actually, as Simon was saying, the humanities provide a really good context for um, developing particular skills or ideas and, and and it seems to me they're also just inherently very engaging for young children. I mean I loved history as a yeah. boy, I mean Simon's obviously loved geography, and I think our experience as as, as teachers and that I think of most of them profession is that actually it's really interesting to learn about things in the past or one's local community or, or whatever far more so I'm afraid than you know whether to um, add a particular type of clause in a sentence that one's <laughs> trying to, to write
2: that's right and and that clause might well be added to make real sense if it's in the context of a particular piece of historical description or geographical explanation rather than it's just something which seems to be abstract.
0: And I think that abstractness, I think, is a really important point, isn't it? Because, like you said, the idea that now we're doing an hour of English, now we're doing an hour of maths, as opposed to now we're looking at a historical point or we're going out into the community and from that we're going to pull all of our knowledge and the questions and the understanding and the learning that comes from that, while hard to gauge at the time, if you've got that freedom and that understanding as something which is inherently going to improve everybody's understanding of what you're doing because you're doing it as a community, whether it's a class community or in small groups. How do you think you can get that message across in terms of that's sort a of positive way forward or a way that can be incorporated into the current sort of landscape of many classrooms that still have that kind of sort of fixed timescale or, or a, like you say, a very subject-based idea of how
1: the, the day should go ahead? Well, I, th- I think what we have done the sort of basis of Humanities 2020 is that following the um, issue of Education 3 to 13, there was then a seminar and then a group of about 12 of us, most of whom are teacher educators, um, met and said, well, how do we carry this forward? And we spent a long time, probably a year to 18 months, um working out what we've called a manifesto a fairly simple four-page manifesto to try and set out some of our thinking and that's the sort of basis of humanities 2020 but it's still quite a difficult idea to get across just through a piece of writing because as i think we've been trying to capture it's almost more like a sort of way of thinking and a and a and a whole approach to pedagogy and teaching particularly for young children so the, the basis of it is a, is a manif- is as i say a four page manifesto which we're hoping that people will look at on the website and uh, sign up to and that, that will then in a sense prompt them particularly as they're looking at revisions of the curriculum over the next year or two in the light of the new um, uh, inspection framework. So I think there's sort of that one side of it. I think the other side, which is, um, with any of these campaigns, you sort of need to go through a whole range of different way, uh, different approaches um, of uh writing articles which um, teachers uh, may read um going to particular events i mean for instance i was at Brewed in oxford um, on on saturday and you know you it's in the talking to uh, teachers that actually i think one then Starts to convince them. Oh yes, I can see what you're getting at. And certainly, my experience is that with lots and lots of teachers, is that they will say, "All oh, right, so that's what you, you now. That's that's part of why I came into primary education." And I think in that way, we would be hoping to, if you like, to get people on board. So if you like, there's a sort of more formal way, and then there there are more informal ways through conversations and people then. Talking to you know friends and colleagues, so that actually gradually uh, one moves away from what I think we would see as a, a very narrow view of the curriculum and towards a more balanced and a and a richer curriculum.
2: Yes, I think that that links very well with how we see, for example, the new Ofsted framework and the way in which schools will respond to that and relook at their curriculum and see how they uh, balance that out. In terms of what other possibilities, where can we go for some information that's put in uh, various keywords to uh, the search engines we use and see what comes up. And that in many ways is probably one of the key things we're going to need to support uh, over the coming years in, in particular ways because it seems that teachers are more often heading towards a particular website or a range of websites we need to be able to get ourselves into that selection that they see pop up on their screen and think oh yes I want to have a look at that um, books are around there's plenty but they're not necessarily bought very heavily by schools or teachers um, more in initial teacher education but even that is not very strong but library access is useful there and, and ebooks uh, and the same with journals and, and again students Uh, going into teaching will have used those so we hope by getting publications out in that way there will be a number of things which will stick in the mind and they will think ah yes I need to to go back and have a look at that or actually I could use this to develop what is already listed for the school in a number of ways Uh, but word of mouth I think is probably one of the key points and it's getting that word of mouth out through a number of key individuals, for example, consultants who are working with schools linked into history or geography or RE, but can then mention more widely the curriculum, to Ofsted and HMI, for example, who might then also give similar advice to to other people who have contact regularly with schools, uh, or link in with their own websites and make a connection to the Humanities 2020 website.
1: One other bit which Simon reminds me of, which I had forgotten um, in what I said before, I think one other area where we would hope to be making a a, a slightly more long-term impact would be in terms of teacher education, where I think there is a a bit more scope because we have quite a lot of contacts and there are obviously far fewer teacher education um, establishments than there are schools, where I think there's quite a lot of interest certainly in some teacher education courses in fine partly because of the pressure of time uh, within relatively short courses about how one can help to prepare those becoming teachers to see education in in, in broader terms and in, and for the long term as opposed to being too caught into the current agenda and i think a large number of teacher educators would see that as part of their role. Though I think everybody knows that when teachers then go into schools, you know, quite often they're then much more focused on you know on the immediate um, task as seen by the school. But there is something about that sort of broader, longer perspective, with which I think teacher education um, we would hope to influence that.
2: Yes, I, I balance that by making the point that more than half of future teacher recruitment now occurs directly through primary schools that have set themselves up up as core components of initial teacher education. So uh, they have links with many universities, uh, but there are also schools that don't link with universities and just simply go for a QTS qualification. Uh, rather than look for a PGCE qualification. So there is a group of schools that we also need to be getting to uh, in that way as well. And again, word of mouth, their use of consultants and so on is a way to do that. And linking uh, where we might be able to with some academies and academy chains that have groups of primary schools uh, and those responsible in those groups for uh, the humanities subject areas getting them on board is going to be an important way to to link with those schools too.
0: So it seems to me, as with all these things, always it's multifaceted and and, and there's also lots of moving parts in these things. I liked... Um, the the time answers that you were saying is the fact that it is it is now because it's how it's come together. But it's it's for many years. It's many conversations, and it, and there's a great sort of synchronicity about the fact that, like, say, Ofsted has a slightly different take on where it's going and how it's going to look into um, how they how they deal with schools and and how they inspect them. Do you see that there's going to be any possibility for it to be a two way street? Because I would think that if Ofsted are thinking we want a broader idea of the curriculum, we want to support schools to be able to develop that, actually supporting something like Humanities 2020 is a way of them being able to say, if you're not sure how to go about it, here are some things which we like the idea of, even if that's just an, a conversation that you're having with Ofsted or, or the fact that you're having it through teacher training and universities and that kind of thing. Do you think there will be that sort of two-way Dialogue, or do you feel that it's very much you sort of putting out there what you believe is an incredibly important thing, but having some resistance the other way? I I, I
1: hope I hope so, and we're hoping to meet with uh, one of the lead HMIs for primary and early years, hopefully in August now, um, to try and set up that sort of conversation. Um, but I think but I think it's hard to know. I mean, because. I mean obviously they've gone through a consultation process, they've set up the new handbook and so on. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure how much Ofsted will see their role directly in terms of I mean, their role is primarily to inspect, obviously, rather than professional development. But again, just to I mean, just to sort of step back or to go slightly at a tangent, I think one of our other concerns is that because of how the curriculum and and the testing regime has worked in the last 20, 25 years, um, that there's a whole generation of teachers who are in some ways trained very well, but in our view, trained rather narrowly. So that this idea of of the sort of broader um, curriculum and maybe following particular um, interests within a lesson, rather than you know, sticking too closely to the plan. So I think there are huge um, op- challenges and opportunities in terms of um, of professional development, and but hopefully within that, we and when I say we, I mean I don't just mean us as a group, but we hopefully as a sort of broader movement. And Simon was mentioning consultants, and you know. And, Heads of academy chains and so on, that hopefully that will build up a, I don't know, a groundswell or something like that for people to say, yes, if we're going to do that, then how do we go about it? And we would want to be making our uh, our contribution to that. I don't know what you think about that. Simon. Yeah, no, I,
2: I I think there's a compliment there in terms of the way consultants are working and, in some cases, linked with what is going on in terms of inspections. Um, One of the questions that would lie behind that is how well prepared are the associate inspectors going into schools, uh, leading or working uh, with a particular team to be able to give a a good sense of what the quality of the curriculum is. We've, We've heard some reports over the years that Uh, some associate inspectors going in don't really know what subjects beyond the core are about Um, others clearly do so it's a question of what's their background and what quality of comment comes back but one of the things that I am hearing very positively from uh, consultants going in and working with schools for example one colleague up in the north west and around uh, Manchester and into Cheshire and so on Um, is that schools are very much wanting a broader curriculum and they want more advice, support for geography, history and RE. So there's a very positive sense of schools when she goes in to do a particular job, uh, perhaps with just one subject, saying, you know, but can you give us more? Can you put us in touch with other people? Uh, And that seems to be coming back to her from people she knows across the country. So there seems to be a groundswell out there of interest and it's whether... In one sense, there are enough consultants out there in terms of primary humanities who can actually meet what seems to be a growing need and is likely to be an increased need with offset interest in a broad curriculum.
0: And I guess what you mentioned earlier is probably a key point. Most teachers went into the profession because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to support children to become the best people they could be both as they're going through their schooling and I guess also as they then progress into adulthood Um, so I guess that reconnection that kind of dialogue that not only do we know that that's why you did it but also that we can show you a way of making that easier for you which I guess having Mm -hmm. that broad curriculum that broad senses as well I had a conversation while I did an interview um, over the weekend with someone called Glenn Carter who's got um, something called History Rocks and he's a he's a history person who loves music um, and has a Facebook group and a YouTube channel all that kind of thing and he's written um, many songs based on various history topics that he did all came very organically by doing assemblies in his school and wanting to put things out there Um, And what I found very interesting about that was what he was able to do was engage with the children because that's what he loves. The history he loves, the music he loves, was able to do it through his experience in his education as a teacher to put it in a a way that they really enjoyed. And he took it even further by actually showing showing his, his class how the recording process worked, how he was able to sample various things, how he could strip various things back in how people use different techniques to do auto-tuning and things like that. So from one small aspect, being himself in his classroom really opens up a whole manner of of education, which is beyond, like say, that narrow curriculum. And I guess as people start to hear more and more of those things about how being you fully in your classroom, through your interests, through those things, then that shows you a neat, uh, almost like a guiding light of how you can just do it organically. I'm
2: just going to say that I think that, uh, encapsulate again back to the point that Tony's made about why people want to go into primary education. It's not because I want to follow the national curriculum requirements for English and just go through that in a nice linear rigid way. It's because I think I've got something about me and about the way I interact with children and the children themselves because they have an enormous amount to offer that they bring in from a whole variety of contexts which, if we look carefully and we think about, going beyond the curriculum as it's simply written actually enables a lot more excitement, a lot more engagement, and in fact, an awful lot more learning to go on. And children build not only just a knowledge base through, through those activities and that learning, but they develop, which is another point in, in, in our interest in humanities, is the value side of their learning. And that that's about their future citizenship. It's about, as, as you were saying, Mark, the way in which they develop as people. And that has to be something which is fundamentally important to the nature of primary education.
1: Simon's taken us off to where where I would have gone as well, but just to add one thing about what you were saying about um, the history and the music. I think it's a thing that's too often forgotten is just actually the enthusiasm of the teacher is something which is contagious or infectious and something which is enormously important and i quite often tell the story you know what got me into history i mean insofar as there was a one of the subjects history was probably the one that as a young child i w- was most fascinated in and that's carried on right the way through my life and a lot of it came down to one teacher And, you know, if ever you see these things, you know, who was the teacher who influenced you in your life, which is a sort of classic newspaper column, isn't it? But the theme that nearly, two themes nearly always come through. I think one of them is enthusiasm and the other is something about believing in the child. Um, And and, and I think we, we forget about that aspect of enthusiasm. And I worry that particularly for not all young children, but for some young children, what they get in school is, is not as interesting as it should be, and that actually, you know, where it comes from is actually the teacher's passion
2: and enthusiasm. Yes, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I had a couple more things, I think, to that, which, which are based on looking at how uh, the various inspection regimes in the four parts of the United Kingdom have reported on, on humanities, social studies dimensions. Those two things came through very strongly indeed, but also very strongly came through the whole idea of risk-taking, and that teachers who were of, of the best quality and doing really good work, who really got the children engaged, were not doing something they just felt comfortable with, but they were challenging themselves as well as the children, and getting into areas where there weren't simple, neat answers. There was controversy there was potential for coming up with perspectives that different children within the same class might have. And indeed, children would begin to be able to express their own views and may not necessarily agree with each other, but that was seen as positive and acceptable. And that element of of openness, drawing from the children, but actually helping them appreciate each other and the perspectives they brought, uh, and being challenged to, to really try to work something out, which may not have a simple answer at all, uh, really seemed to get them engaged and working fascinatingly at what they were doing.
1: And, and just to add to that, I mean, somebody last week was saying, is really what this Humanities 2020 thing about being about sort of knowledge of the world and human culture and how people fit in? Now, I mean, could debate that those sorts of things endlessly but I thought actually it captured it quite well in relation to what Simon was saying in terms of citizenship and actually that business of what is it to be a human being you know both as myself and how other people live people of different faiths different backgrounds um, and, and so on they aren't simple questions they are deeply complicated and contested ones and that's part of the fascination of being a human being, it seems to me. And I think what we've seen, and Simon was hinting at this over the last 20 years, is, is too often offering young children particularly sort of rather simplistic, um, you know, packaged answers mm. to questions which are enormously complicated, <laughs> which people have, you know, argued and contested about for hundreds of years and will carry on doing so for, um, you know, for many more. Do you feel that it's actually the job of primary
0: education to give children that part of education? Because it seems to me that as I've gone through my um, my education and my children have gone through primary education and because of the testing idea where there needs to be a result, that it obviously has changed a lot over, over time. But do you think it should be the core or do you feel that from... Ofsted and, and, and what they're talking about—that actually it's going to become more important in terms of what primary education should be and should be part of in that sense of a broad education and a broad
1: curriculum. And the simple answer to your question is yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so, some of my—I mean—some of the writing which I was doing a, a year or two back, um, and again it begs all sorts of questions—is about the whole child. But it does seem to me that if one goes right back to what the aims of education are, and Simon was talking about values, that actually we need to ask those very fundamental questions about what is it to be an educated person in a world of great change and controversy and what in one of our articles we call Troubled Times, if you think about the polarization of society or about xenophobia or some of the challenges and some of the opportunities of cultural diversity. So it does seem to me that, you know, there's a danger that I think we have, that has occurred in the last few years is one just sort of gets this curriculum, which is sort of imposed on schools to some extent, as opposed to saying, what are we trying to achieve as educators and then From that, trying to build a more organic curriculum or a curriculum which is based more on what we're seeking to achieve?
2: Yes, it's, I mean, I agree with everything Tony said, but in some ways, I think actually that the whole issue is a much older one uh, than would seem to be recent. For example, we go back to the thinking behind the Proudhon report and the way uh, that developed what they were attempting to is a more balanced approach to thinking about the whole of primary schooling. And they didn't shirk the notion that, yes, children need to build up knowledge about the world, about different subject areas, things that are important to, to have knowledge about. But they also need to understand what that knowledge is about. It's not just having information. They also need to have a context in which that is working and is possible to use. So the way in which that links with their own lives, with lives of others and so on becomes important. It's also something which had shifted the element of of an earlier approach to education coming out of sort of initiation of national schooling, which was about we, we need to get children just to know things because that's important to the way our society and our empire works. It moved things beyond that. The challenge that I think we've had almost with the most recent version of the National Curriculum is a move back towards that sort of early 20th century note. we just need you to know the facts. And that does raise some very interesting questions, one of which might be, well, if I know all this stuff about English, what is it I don't know? What what am I not being included in? What is it about uh, people like Michael Rosen argue about you know, literature and the way that gets you into the notion of humanity and so on and so forth. Uh, Is science really nice and neat and straightforward or is there actually much more controversy and much more fascination and some real significance in in areas there? And it's partly within that broader argument that we're also arguing for the humanities because having been to an extent marginalised because of the way curriculum construction and inspection has dominated things, so you need to get the balance back because this actually can help spread this balance back across the curriculum of looking at the way in which our society works, in which we act as people in our society, the sort of people we are. We come back to that element of a values-based education which also underpinned the Alexander Cambridge Primary Review Report. Uh, so it's not a new idea, and it's, it's an old idea and it reappears from time to time. what is it that you'd
0: like people to do having sort of heard all these concepts the ideas the fact that you've created something called humanities 2020 what can people do to get on board my thoughts are from having listened to you now is the fact that talking about it and sharing it with people so that we can start to have a conversation I guess that's one aspect as well but you said about the manifesto and where can people go to sign up and what are they signing up to how does that work in in your sort of
1: way of viewing how you're going to progress from here I mean i, I think you you're right I mean, just to turn it the the other way around i mean the the, the simple answer in terms of finding the manifesto um, is on wwwhumanities 2020 dot org and there's also a twitter feed which is humanities 2020 um, but the the website has a it has a flyer and it has the manifesto and so that sort of encapsulates some of our thinking and we, and at the moment we're still building up the website so there's some bits of news and some case studies just to try and exemplify and we're also hoping that to get more of those and if those who do some interesting work would like to offer those then that would be that would be wonderful so that's the sort of in a sense the immediate bit about joining the campaign but I think as you were hinting just now, it's something broader. It isn't just about signing up. It's actually about talking with colleagues, talking with friends, finding out what happens in other schools and so on. Because, and I, I wish it wasn't true, but we're a relatively small group of people. Uh, and you know, in the end, we can't do it all. All we can do is try and set off some of this thinking. You know, in schools and in and and in teacher education, and then more widely. Um, So I think what we'd really hope is that while we want people to sign up to their manifesto, that's only really a, a a means to an end of actually people then going back into their schools and their communities and saying, so you know, what's this going to look like for us? How might we shift that? And I think there's some interesting. Um, curriculum work going on on that uh, in that but it my own view is that that needs to happen within schools or possibly within groups of schools rather than it being some you know redoing of the national curriculum which I think most teachers would sort of sigh rather heavily about at the moment because in the end I think curriculum it needs to be tied together with pedagogy so how do we do it and that then needs to reflect the sort of values and beliefs that any school espouses.
2: Yes I think the key is actually back into the schools and it's all the teachers interested picking the points up, initiating conversations, hopefully being able to sort of bring their head teachers in if they're not the head teacher Um, but we, we're going to need some sort of leadership in, in primary schools for this to, to happen, to have an effect in terms of thinking about the curriculum. So, one is, one is the head teacher of the school, the other is the curriculum leaders in the school, and the way in which someone who has a responsibility often for the humanities subjects, maybe sometimes a, uh, another person for RE, is able to discuss and work with their colleagues to say, okay, how do we think about balancing our curriculum? How about, you know, what are the really under fundamental underpinning ways? If you look at uh, a variety of school websites, the values are very much there as the basis for what's this school about. It's then how do those values get reflected in our, the range of our curriculum? Where are important focuses within that? And whether you've got a curriculum that uh, identifies separate subjects or groups them together in different ways, the opportunity to look across the curriculum but also to look at particular connections between subjects, so, for example, geography and history and RE and citizenship, then you've got the possibility of some real development occurring. And,
1: and, and just to add one thing, if I may, in relation to, to the Ofsted framework, and I think one shouldn't be led by the inspection framework, but the reality is that, you know, that's obviously going to be a major consideration for many schools. I think there's a, 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 there's a huge opportunity in what is in the new curriculum of saying that in in Key Stage 2 particularly, inspectors will be looking for a balanced and broadly based curriculum in each year. Um, and I think one of my concerns is that too often Year 6, because of the dominance of SATs, has seen a, a, a narrowing of the curriculum and mm. hopefully that will shift. I think one of my disappointments about the new inspection framework is that um they still seem to be seeing key stage 1 as um too much of a, a, a that it's right to focus mainly on literacy and numeracy and as Simon was saying earlier I think very much what we would want to be saying is well look, look at the humanities I mean and also the arts as as a context for developing those skills so I would I think that there's obvious opportunities for those working in key stage two I think the it may be slightly more difficult for those in key stage one at the moment but I would very much be wanting to encourage those working in key stage one because I think that that balanced and broadly based curriculum actually I think it's Arguably, even more important for younger children than it is for for older ones. Yeah. Though it's important for both.
2: I think I think that's absolutely right, and it's 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 an interesting contradiction almost that's been set up. In that, if you go back to uh, the last reports, and some time ago now, uh, from Ofsted on history and geography, for example, they indicate that probably the better quality of teaching is in Key Stage One in those subject areas than in most of key stage two so to to almost infer well you don't need to bother so much actually you don't need to set up quality learning for later well the opposite answer is it's got to be exactly the opposite we need those subjects fundamentally in the early years
0: and i guess that the hardest thing is and i love the fact that it's about conversation it's about developing within a school how you want all these things to integrate and and all the things that we've spoken about. I guess the really difficult thing for teachers and maybe more so for for younger teachers who have um, less historical experience in terms of how the curriculum has changed over the years is the fact that everybody including the children in the school often want to get things right <laughs> it has to look a certain way we have to make sure it ticks this box it has to do that and so it's quite difficult to even get the ball rolling isn't it from that point of view because you you don't want to set something up which then is going to be determined as not a very good thing when you do get inspected next or something like that and how how do you think you can sort of just create that ethos within a school or or environment where you feel like we're just going to do what we think is right for the children based on all the things that we've talked about and enable that to be okay
2: yes I mean you're in a sense setting up a sort of second version of the the binary curriculum as it were in Robin Alexander's case of really we've got sort of curriculum one as, as the core and curriculum two as the rest in a way it's almost saying curriculum one is just factual information which is either right or wrong and curriculum two is where you can be a little bit more open-minded the problem is we're looking for the development of people who are open-minded for a whole variety of reasons not least because facts change and facts need and are question. contestable and indeed um, as we know all too well at present but actually that's always been the case it's just very often we've not Seen them as as so obviously potentially contestable Uh, what we do need to do is therefore develop conversations with teachers about how straightforward and simple straightforward answers is your life and teachers begin to recognize when you open that conversation up that actually it's not as simple as it might seem in setting up what young children just need to know in a rather narrow sense of know they need a much broader notion of knowing. And knowing, if you go into sort of philosophical debates, actually is a very contestable area. So it's about opening that thinking up. And teachers respond to that, and young teachers potentially, very strongly.
1: But to come at your question from a slightly different angle, I, th- Simon earlier mentioned the whole business of risk-taking. And if you go back to Ideas like Sir Ken Robinson on creativity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean it would be true. I think in just about every discipline that actually, of course, you don't take ridiculous risks. But actually, part of learning is that you take some risks, and therefore you make some mistakes because that's actually the nature of um, of risk taking, and it's the nature of learning. So it, it is, in a sense, a whole sort of shift away from this sort of transmission of a particular notion of factual knowledge into a whole way of here's me as the teacher and you as the class of children. And how do we work these things out together? What are the questions we ask? And give me your answer, which may not be the right answer, but actually then your friend may add to it or may disagree. And so there is that whole element of of of, of, of seeing the, the process of learning in a more open way and a more creative way.
2: Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, there's a question about the attitude you bring to the classroom as to whether it's I'm just here to pass on information in that transmission sense. Whether I'm here, and in a way it links with transmission, I'm here to open minds. So I'm here to pass on that you need to think more broadly, that things are not necessarily, there are more than one answer to a range of different questions, and that that actually is what it is about and what it is like. Yes, there are single answers to questions. That's fine, but there are multiple answers to other questions, and you need to be open to all of that. It's that attitude teachers need to bring to foster with children.
0: I I I do love the the whole concept of um, of facts changing. Um, it just reminds me. Last night um, we were sat at home. My daughter's I think she's got a science test today at school, and she had to do a poster and, and various things based on that. And um, and Pluto came up, and so we had the whole debate <laughs> yeah. of oh, but it's actually not a planet anymore. But it was a planet, and who decided it is and who decided it wasn't? And then, but what year did they decide it no longer was? And and we had sort of conversations from different rooms, and her older brother was chipping in, and yeah. and. Then, There was something related to light years and and all that kind of thing. And we were going through a thing. And one of the things she'd done is she'd written all the planets out. And one of them is she'd missed out. And we had this whole debate then about, oh, well, do do I need to do it again? And then it was, well, what was the purpose of it? I think it was a revision exercise really more than actually you need to produce um, a physical document. And I said, "Well, well, then why not? why not just put a question on your piece of paper that says, ah, what have I decided not to add as the plan? Yeah, I said, because if the, if the point is, is that it was an idea of some kind of revision idea for you to learn, you've really learned that now because you've learned much more than you would have done of just copying something or whatever. I said, isn't that, isn't that the most important thing? And, and those concepts of actually we're just learning because we want to be learning. And like I say, the facts change, so therefore what would have been right 10 years ago isn't right anymore, but actually, of course... It is right because yeah. it it, it yeah. is what it is, and it's a really interesting way of doing that. And um,
1: but it's interesting you bring in that example of science, which probably, along with mathematics, is the one where most people probably think that you know this is about you know observation of how it yeah. is mm. and factual mm. knowledge, and mm. there it is. But actually, I think if you and Simon was hinting at this earlier, if you actually speak to mathematicians and scientists, you know they will say, well, yes, there are. Some things which have a very simple answer, but the most important aspects of it are constantly contestable yeah, and, yeah. Um, and may
2: change. Well, it, it's the same if you come back and look at, at say, geography or history. Um, we want children to sort of know certain basic factual information, and you know, if you know about you know what the names of the continents are and where they are on the Earth's surface. Yeah, that that's uncontestable. If you start saying, well, you need to know this country and its capital and that country and its capital, why? And once you start asking that question, and say, well, are they the most important ones? What's the cultural background to having to know that or these particular dates in history? And that gets children thinking about what exactly is going on here? Yes, this information can be important. Is it important for society now? Is it important in my education now? What might be the ones that actually it's worth knowing? I can still remember you know, the, the, the names of nations from back in the days of empire. And then uh-huh. as the Commonwealth developed, some of them changed. But you know, that early bit of thinking stays with you. So thinking early about this is also important as to sort of recognising... Perhaps it's not quite a set in stone as some people like to pass it on mm. to me.
1: And very similarly in history, now, I mean, I came up in the, you know, the a, a time when there was bad King John, and you know, and, and and so on. But but actually, the longer one goes on in history or geography or any discipline, you actually recognise that there's a, there's a different perspective on these mm. things, and that these things are never quite as simple as they yeah. might appear on the surface. Yes. So. I think just, just to wrap up
0: and everything, I think there are a couple of things that we can do to sort of support this. One, as you said, is to go to the website, sign up um, and for the manifesto to talk to people um, within your school, your community and all of that kind of thing. But I think one thing that Nate can do to support, which is I know something which you, you were very keen on and we were very keen to do as well, is actually, and the reason that I set up the Educational on Fire podcast network together to begin with, is to share creative and inspiring ideas. And I think other teachers, other schools, other areas hearing how people in a different environment are doing maybe some of this risk um, taking, risk taking rather, and actually able to show, explain, demonstrate how it's working for them in whichever form that comes is a very positive one because then like I say, the community increases the, the sense of we're all heading in that direction because it's what we believe in, because we're reconnecting with why we became teachers, what we think education's about, what we're doing for our children. And that might be a very positive way that we can do on a fairly regular basis as people get in contact to share and it will look different in every school. And I think that will be a, an exciting and a fun thing to be able yeah. to do.
1: Yes, and I mean, I think that, I mean, that goes back to, I'm not sure whether I said this earlier, but the whole sort of notion of people having permission and, and being enabled and encouraged to try out some ideas and then to, to share those. Because, again, I think with the advent of the national curriculum, I mean, how whatever one thinks about whether that was a good thing or not, it's sort of developed into that there is just the sort of one way of doing it. And I think one of the things that we're saying is that actually these things need to be um, reshaped and, and recreated by individual schools. And if you then hear what other people in, in neighbouring schools or elsewhere in the country or or whatever have done, then I think that um, you know, helps that whole discussion as opposed to, you know, sort of just either downloading something from the internet or just looking exactly at that because I think underlying what we've been talking about is that teaching young children is fundamentally a much more complicated and much more fascinating process than perhaps um, you know has come to be thought in the last few years.
2: Yes I agree entirely with
0: that. Thank you so much for chatting Today, I think we've covered a, a whole range of things, but also in my mind, at least, as well, sort of narrowed it down to some of those key elements of, of what it's all about and, and what we're trying to do from a general education point of view, and specifically through Humanities 2020, which I think its its greatest gift is the fact it gives us focus and, and a clear idea of, of why we should have these conversations and how we can do that. So, thank you. One thing much, I you. might just add, sorry, I'm
1: just thinking particularly with it being a NAEP um, uh, podcast is that um, I did write an article in, the, um, in Primary First at the beginning of this year, 2019, and there's another one coming out in the, um, I think it's coming out in July, the, the version. So for those who are NAEP members, if they want to know a little bit more about some of the thinking behind it, um, then do have a look at Primary First.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode and are excited and inspired about how we can change education in all those aspects in the way that we've just been talking about for the last few minutes. Thank you so much to Tony Yude and Simon Catlin for inviting me to, to be part of this and to share this message with you. There are lots of things to remember in terms of the the websites for Humanities 2020, for NAEP and all those things. So if you go to the show notes of this particular episode, I'll have a list of all of those things in one place. So all you need to remember is www.educationonfire.com forward slash NAEP 033. That's educationonfire.com forward slash NAEP 033. Thank you so much for listening and we look forward to bringing you some more episodes very, very soon.